All right, man, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? To hear from these brothers and sisters who've been persecuted that they are choosing to forgive. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, I hope many of you are here this morning, and I hope that you reflected a little bit this afternoon on maybe uh, how we can uh, relate to Muslims. If you weren't here, I said that we don't fear them and we don't hate them. Instead, we show them the love of Christ. And that guy in the video, uh, there was a brother in there named Brother Hytham. He was the one that said, they may assume me as their enemy, but I will never assume them as my enemy. Uh, Hytham said one time, it was very interesting, he said, the thing about um, Islam is that when you think about the mountain sermon, he calls the Sermon on the Mount the mountain sermon. He says, uh, when you think about the mountain sermon, it goes against everything that they believe. And so what I thought would be fun tonight uh, is to look at the mountain sermon for just a few minutes. So look over at Matthew chapter 5, because here's the interesting thing. This, these two pages in the Bible, Matthew 5, 6, 7, they're pretty uh, amazing. And they're, and they're kind of different than a lot of normal responses that we would have. They're, they're very unusual. And if you were able to just focus on those scriptures, I think... Uh, your world would be very different. Uh, and so I've spent a little time meditating on it. I wanted to share, you, share a few thoughts with you. But first of all, let me just say, this is such a great church. I love this church. Uh, I mean, seriously, when, and I, I'm around the world, meeting with brothers and sisters and in churches all over the place. And it's just interesting. Um, just you can sense just the spirit of the Lord at work in this place. And what a great group of staff and leadership. Uh, Pastor Tim is amazing. I was just talking to Pastor Tim. Maybe I like him so much because we're kind of similar. We're both a little organized. Have you ever noticed Pastor Tim is organized? <laughs> Anybody seen that? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, uh, with your new worship pastor, social pastor for worship, Mike, and Amy, great job this morning. You guys are just such a blessing. I was telling, I was joking with Mike, you did change the lyrics a little bit, but that's okay, you know. <laughs> you left out Manila and you put in St. John's, but that was great. <laughs> Brought it home, you know, and that's really wonderful. So, but just thanks for coming over and doing this, ministering here. It's really an answer to prayer, I know, for many years, right? So uh, praise God for that. Anyway, it's a great team. Chad, of course. Chad's representing with his I Am In shirt today. You got to show, show off the shirt there, man. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this symbol, I'm going to explain this for just a minute before we get started here. But that symbol is the uh, noon. I forgot Pastor Ron, too. Where's Ron at? He's here somewhere, right? Oh, oh, he's got security covered. Okay, good. Um, well, that symbol, the noon, have you heard the story about that, what was going on? Uh, in June of 2014, ISIS was coming into the city of Mosul, and they, they started to spray paint this letter N, the Arabic letter N. It looks kind of like a happy face almost, because uh, uh, it has a dot and a big smile kind of looking thing. But that is the word, uh, it's actually the Arabic word, um, Nasrani or Noon is the letter, but it stands for Nasrani or Nasara, and it's, a, it's actually, uh, it means Nazarene. So what do you think was related to this, spraying this on people's houses? It was saying these people are followers of Jesus the Nazarene. And uh, by putting that on there, it was very similar, in fact, to the, the Jewish star armbands. You remember these, like in World War II, when people would, would be forced to wear this star, and they would be immediately outcast uh, in their, their society, but, but sometimes it even got worse. And in this case, 
with the uh, Arabic noon, as uh, Brother Haitham was saying there on the video, he said, you know, you just had a few choices. You could either convert to Islam, that was a preferred choice, or you could uh, choose to leave, and, or you could pay a jizzy tax, which was selling yourself into slavery, essentially, or we'll kill you. And I'll never forget sitting in Iraq, it was in a refugee center, and I was sitting with this young man. He was a fourth year engineering student from the University of Mosul, and he had lost everything, all of his education. His four years of education were just gone. And I said, uh, well, can't you just transfer to the University of Baghdad or something? And he's like, no, they, when ISIS came in and they found out we were Christians, they kicked us out of the school, they burned down the library because they didn't like the books that were in there and they destroyed our transcripts. We have nothing. And um, the amazing thing was, is that he, when he said, uh, when he was telling me that they would kill us, he said, or they would kill you. And he just said it so matter-of-factly. And I'm like, you mean they're, get, they're gonna kill you? I mean, I just can't even fathom that. I was sitting with the McEwens today at lunch and I was like, what would possess somebody to kill somebody? Just because they don't like their religion. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, but anyway, so he said, yeah, they would kill us. But this is interesting. He said this. He said, but it was okay to lose everything because Jesus deserves it. And, uh, and the lady next to him was funny. She piped in at that point and she said, but we didn't lose our faith. We lost everything, but we didn't lose our faith. And it was just a great example of how when we hold onto this life and cling to this life, it, it's going to be ripped away in various ways and times. Uh, and so it's so much better to just begin now to live with eternal perspective, isn't it? To put our fruit and our investments here uh, toward heaven, to point them towards eternal values. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I would love to answer questions in a minute. We've got, I, I'm excited. I got so much fun stuff to talk to you about. But if you have questions, uh, let's, in, in probably about 10 minutes or so, maybe 15, we'll, we'll open the floor up and you can ask questions. And then if you don't ask questions, I'll just tell you more stories. I got all kinds of stories um, and lots of neat ways God's at work. Okay, so let's look at the text. Look at Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read a few verses. And I'm going to sort of hit and miss uh, through this. But, but one of the sessions, uh, sections, which is very interesting, Matthew 5, when you get down to verse... Man, the little verse, my eyes are kind of going bad. I'm getting kind of old. Um, it's the one where Jesus talks about loving your enemies. What's that verse number? It says you've heard it, that it was said. I can't, I can't read the verse number. I can read the text, but not the verse number. Uh, it's towards the end, the last part of chapter 5. What number is that? Is that 45? 43, okay, 43. So you've heard that it was said you should love your enemy and, I'm sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So look at that first verse there. You've heard it was said, love your enemies. Uh, just as you think through this passage, and I just want to get really practical here, uh, it's easy to love people who are like you, right? Easy to love people who are lovely. Uh, although I would argue it's harder to love Christians sometimes than not Christians, but I don't know if anyone's had that experience. But, but it's easier to love people who are more similar. And, and Jesus said that. Hey, hey, that's easy. There's nothing uh, laudable about that. But he goes on and says, but I'm asking you, to do something. Verse 44, 
Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Interestingly, if you flip back to the beginning of chapter 5, you also see he talks about persecution. Persecution comes up a lot. It's not, like I said this morning, this is not unusual. It's part of the normal Christian life. So if you're not getting persecuted, you might want to ask, hey, what's going on here? Because maybe I'm not speaking up enough for Jesus. I don't know. But, um, but look at this. Um, uh, what is the verse here? Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. Where? Here? Nope. Your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we think about persecution, and uh, I, I really want to just talk about two themes briefly. One is the idea of loving your enemies. Uh, it's, it's impossible for an enemy to know what to do when you love them. They don't know how to respond to that. And I have a story about this from Sudan. I was in Sudan, uh, literally in the bush, for eight days, no power, no water, not one street. I'm talking about in the bush. This is a place where uh, Omar al-Bashir, the evil despot of the north, uh, really the modern-day Hitler, is literally trying to eliminate all the Christians He's Arabic, he doesn't like Africans, he's Muslim, he doesn't like Christians, and so he's trying to eliminate them. And so, like I said this morning, there's a fault line in northern Africa where you see the Arab Islamic North and the African Christian South, and there's just a, a fault line and a conflict area. And so in this area, this was in the Nuba Mountains. The Nuba Mountains is a region that's been targeted by Omar al-Bashir. He actually, believe it or not, bombs his own people. These are people living in, in his area, his country, and he doesn't like them, so he sends the Sudanese Air Force, and they bomb their own people. Schools, hospitals, homes, churches. All the churches have already been bombed, but now they're hitting hospitals, schools. In fact, it was interesting, in this one place, here I am with this guy. His name is Pastor Moses, probably my favorite African ever. He's an amazing, amazing man of God, and I'll tell you a story about him in a minute. But Pastor Moses, I'm literally at his house, which is more like a hut, with his kids, and sure enough, a plane starts coming and, uh, and we, we had already been bombed two days prior to that in another part of the Nuba Mountains. And literally, hiding in a cave, four bombs were dropped. I mean, you're just in a cave hearing, you know, these explosions. You don't know what's being destroyed or whatever. You're just hiding. So in this case, the kids uh, run into the, the foxhole with me. And uh, I got a little bit of grief because I had my son with me, my 16-year-old son which if I knew we were going to get bombed, I probably should have taken him on this trip. But anyway, uh, I just hoped his mom would ever find out, uh, <laughs> but she did. Uh, anyway, so the, the crazy thing is, so I'm getting in the foxhole, and I got a little grief from him because I was the first one in the foxhole. Because I'm, you know, I'm retired Air Force. I know, I know what to do when a bomber comes. You get in the Air Force, you get in the hole. Uh, so anyway, I got in the, uh, the foxhole, but I was there for, I told him I was there for journalistic purposes. I wanted to videotape the kids coming in so we could put it in a video or something. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway um, so we're in the, in the foxhole, and the strange thing is these kids, they're just, they're used to this. This is their whole life, every day almost. They just go hide in the foxhole for a while. It's very disruptive. That's, they can't even do school very well because if they do meet for school, they have to go hide in this, this cave um, or foxhole. So uh, you've heard of the organization Doctors Without Borders, maybe? They left. Uh, you've heard of Samaritan's Purse? They left. 
because it's just too dangerous to be in these places. But this is where we love to work. We love to work in these cutting-edge kind of places where the kingdom is really right on the, the edge. And so here's what happened um, with Pastor Moses, and it's related to this. Um, he One day, he asked for some, some funds for a project. He said, and this is what we do. We fund projects, 1,600 projects in 68 nations around the world. So that's what we did last year, about $37 million going over to these projects. And so one of the projects he asked for, he said, um, hey, um, there's a POW camp for these Sudanese soldiers that they caught, and they're in, it's in my neighborhood, and I just want to kind of bless them. So can I have some funds to do this? We said, absolutely, this is what we love to do. So he, uh, he got some funds together, and, and it wasn't a lot because they're just so poor. It's, it's a very poor place. But one of the things he bought was shoes. He bought these little flip-flops. And I, I love flip-flops myself. I use them all the time because they're just handy. You just slide them on and off. It's just a piece of cake. You guys in Indonesia, you probably live in flip-flops, right? Isn't that great? See, I would have flip-flops right now, but that's not cool at church, you know, no, <laughs> you know in some churches. But anyway, um, so the flip-flops, he got the flip-flops. You know why? Because in the prison, it's very unsanitary. And these people are walking around in filth all the time. And he said, these prisoners, they don't have any shoes because here's the other thing that happens. When the Sudanese army gets captured, the SPLA, which is the, uh, the rebels, they take all their clothes, all their uniforms, because they need uniforms. So it's kind of funny at, at one level because the war that's happening, they're all wearing the same uniforms because this SPLA doesn't even have any uniforms. They just steal them from the people they capture or kill. So it's really bizarre. But they, they took the boots. They take, you know, whatever they've got for the uniforms. So Pastor Moses, imagine this. He's gathering up these, these shoes and he's getting ready to go to the prison, and his son stops him. And his son says, Dad, what, where are you going with all those shoes? And he said, I'm going to the prisoner war camp down the road to, to give these to the prisoners. And his son was like, Father, aren't these the same people who are bombing us? And Pastor Moses says, yes, they are. And then he says, and it was a great teaching opportunity, he tells his son, this is exactly what Jesus told us to do. Yes, they hate us, but I'm showing them Jesus' love. And it's a very practical demonstration of his love. So here's the neat thing. Pastor Moses goes to the prison, and the Sudanese prisoners, they don't even know who Jesus is. They, they've never heard about Jesus. They live in Khartoum. Jesus doesn't get talked about a lot in Khartoum. There's hardly any Christians in that region. And so they, they're, they're interested. They're like, you're doing this because of Jesus? Who's Jesus? And Pastor Morris gets to chant, or Moses gets to tell the story. It's amazing. Um, he told me just recently, he didn't tell me, he told another of my colleagues who was there with him, because I asked about it. I was like, did you meet Moses? Did he tell you about this and whatever? Guess what? Some of those prisoners have come to Christ. Isn't that amazing? just because of his demonstration of love. And, and by the way, in that case, they didn't really hate Christianity. They were just doing what they were told to do. They were just soldiers. But, but there are people who really hate Christians, trying to kill them. And what Jesus says is, hey, uh, you know, bless those who persecute you. Forgive those who attack you. Um, in fact, that's another example I wanted to share with you about forgiveness. Um, look over at chapter 6, if you don't mind. Matthew chapter 6. And um, you can see uh, the Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with this. Sometimes we call it the Disciples' Prayer because it was really the Lord teaching the disciples how to pray. And, you know, as soon as uh, it ends there, uh, in verse 14, it says, Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
And then uh, verse 14 says, But if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's hard to forgive, isn't it? Does anybody here have a hard time forgiving? Man, that's hard. It's hard to forgive. Especially when you've been really, really wounded. If it's, a, you know, just a serious hurt, hard to forgive. But this is what makes Christianity different. So imagine if, um, if somebody's about to kill somebody, and they say, uh, even though you're going to kill me, I forgive you. That's exactly what Jesus did in Luke 23, right? He was on the cross. He knew he was dying. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Well, I just want to say this. I believe that many people who are persecuting Christians today do not know what they're doing. I think that's part of the answer. We were asking a minute ago, what would possess somebody to kill another human like that, to brutally, you know, to cut their head off or do something horrible? I really believe there's some demonic involvement in this. There's some spiritual warfare happening. And I also believe they just don't know what they're doing. So we've got to forgive. But it's so hard, isn't it? Let me tell you a couple stories. I, I got some stories about forgiveness. And I, I promised I would tell you too about courage too. So I, I got those still on tap here. So I got about three stories and then we can open it up for some questions if you're interested. Um, so let's think about forgiveness. Probably the most profound one to me was the story of Habila. And I might have already told you this, because I, I, I think it was not long after I had been to Nigeria and met with him, I was here. So if I already told you the story, forgive me, but it's so good, so powerful. Um, Habila was a guy in northern Nigeria in the city of Jos. And Jos, again, Boko Haram is influencing a lot of uh, Islamic terrorism there, and, and uh, it's just amazing. I heard a lot of stories about forgiveness in that area. But Habila... Um, he was in his house one night with his wife Vivian and their son, and all of a sudden he's pounding on the door, and they're dragged out into the street. And Boko Haram is there, and they said, are you a Muslim or are you Christian? And they, by the way, just to let you know here, they killed 15 people in his village that night. So they, they, they're not playing around. They're there with AK-47s, machetes. They're very serious. And so um, Habila and his wife are dragged out. And Habila, he's a very big guy. He's kind of like a teddy bear of a guy. You know, he's... he's how big and just gentle, just a really nice guy. And, and he just said, uh, I'm a Christian and I will die a Christian, is what he said at that moment. And they were pleading with him. Boko Haram said, we don't have to kill you. If you're a Christian, we will have to kill you. But if you say the Shahada, just say the Shahada, you'll be fine. And this is a very simple phrase. It's, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, and it's sort of a, I guess you could say it's sort of the Islamic equivalent of the sinner's prayer. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could say this, and then you can become a Muslim. And, and honestly, these guys, they don't really care whether he truly believes this or not. They just, I don't know if the, what they're thinking, but it seems like they were trying to persuade him to come to their side. And they said, you can be with us. You can be in our family. We'll take care of you. Now imagine those options. If you're a father, you've got your wife there, your little son, and you're thinking, okay, if I just say this thing, then they'll go away. But if I don't, then they might kill me. 
I mean, can you imagine that kind of decision? But that's exactly what was happening in his mind. And, and then after they couldn't convince him, they turned to Vivian. And Vivian's crying, of course, and scared. And they looked at Vivian. And they said, please, com- convince your husband. You know, we don't have to kill him. Tell him to convert. And she just refused. She, was, she told me she was just praying. And uh, so what they did then is they literally shot him in the face with an AK-47. And, uh, and then he fell to the ground. They shouted, Allahu Akbar! And they walked away. They thought their job was done. He was, he was dead. And uh, thankfully, God saved his life, or for whatever reason, it wasn't his time yet. So, so she's putting pressure on the wounds and trying to, trying to keep him alive. He did survive. And the, here's the amazing thing, though. So when I meet this guy, his face is like, it's actually this side. This side of his face is kind of shot off. And uh, so it's, it's very deformed, and it's hard for him to talk. He kind of talks with half of his mouth. But this is what he said. He said, if I saw those guys who shot me, I would try to reach out to them, hug them, tell them I forgive them because Jesus has forgiven me. And they didn't know what they were doing. I just, I forgive them. And I just thought, man, that is so remarkable. Because I thought about some of the bitternesses I have about little individual people, relationships, situations that I'm like, I have a hard time forgiving little stuff. You know what I mean? And this is really a gift from God that, that he can forgive. Isn't that, isn't that amazing to think about that? Because we all have people who hurt us, right? They stab us in the back. They, they take something from us, whatever. And it's hard to forgive. But this is what Jesus says. He says, forgive. If we don't forgive, he's like, you're not going to be forgiven. That, that's a complicated theological <laughs> discussion, what, what he meant by that precisely, but he's definitely encouraging us to forgive those around us. So, all right, a couple of stories about courage real quick that I kind of teased this morning. Okay, the first one is, um, and this is so funny, uh, after church, we were talking, uh, and what was that sister's name? I just forgot. The one that was talking about the story. Diana. Diana, are you in here this evening? There you are, Diana. I was like trying to remember your name. Sorry about that. So Diana came up to me and she said, I love the story of this woman in Iran. And I said, I'm going to tell that story tonight because it's so powerful. Here's what happened. Um, And this I love because it points to the frailty that we all feel. Remember I talked about Luke 21 this morning and Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're dragged before the kings and the governors and the synagogues because I will give you the words to say and there'll be words that no one can resist or contradict. Those are good words. If no one can resist or contradict you, you're good. Well, in this situation, and I won't go into all the details. You'll have to ask Diana for the whole story. She's got the whole thing down. But this is the amazing part. Uh, This woman was actually a pastor's wife. And in Iran, when you choose to be a pastor or when you choose to do gospel work, you know that you're you're at risk. And so, uh, in fact, well, I won't go into that. I could tell some stories about that too. But let me just say this. So this woman, she was praying, and she said, Lord, uh, I, my husband is strong. If he goes to prison, it's going to be really hard, but I believe that you can give him what he needs. But don't ever take me to prison because I can't do it. I don't have what it takes to go to prison. So if you have to take him, it's okay. I'll watch the kids in the home and all that. But, well, as you can imagine, she got taken to prison. So um, she, he and him, he and her, they both went to prison. So, so she's taken to prison. And, uh, and she's sitting there in her cell the night before a hearing, and she's like, Lord, I told you 
I don't have what it takes. Didn't you hear me? I can't stand before this judge tomorrow. What am I going to say? He's going to ask me if like, I'm a Christian and why and what I was doing. And, and I'm afraid I'm just going like, to spill my guts and talk about all the people that we work with because that's what they want. They want to find out the network, you know, who's, who's all connected here. And so she's praying, Lord, I don't know how. And, and so she had a horrible night of wondering. Well, she goes into the judge the next day, and she stands there, and he says, uh, okay, I understand you're a Christian. Is that true? And she says, yes, I am. And, and that's where the miracle happens. That's where she truly feels like the Holy Spirit is giving her words to speak, which are not even her own words. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. Sometimes you, you might say something and be like, wow, that was from God. That was not my normal way of thinking about that. But it was perfect. So she shared these words, and, uh, and honestly, she went back to her cell. She was a little worried because she didn't know how the judge was going to handle this because she was very bold in the courtroom, so much so that even some of the bystanders were kind of like, hmm, this lady is really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> she's pretty much, you know, putting, putting the noose together to hang herself. And... Uh, she goes back and she's worried about it. And this happened actually a couple times where she had these inter interventions or interactions with the judge. And just to get to the bottom, bottom line of the story, at the end of the story, the judge comes to visit her in the prison and says, you, you've, been, you've been convicting me <laughs> in some way. Um, I want to know more about Jesus. I mean, tell me more. And he actually, this is a crazy thing, he actually let her and her husband go eventually, and on the condition that just between them that they would meet with him to help him learn more about Jesus, basically to disciple him. Isn't that crazy? Uh, it's an amazing story, and it, I just love it because it's all about her frailty. She didn't feel like she was a great storyteller, gospel worker, whatever, but God gave her the grace. There's another one that's really funny. This one's from Burma, and uh, was somebody, somebody was from Burma or had mentioned they'd been to Burma this morning. Who's been to Burma? Anyone here tonight? Burma is a really remote, oh, you've been there. Okay, that's right. I remember we were talking about that. Yeah, because you were working with the Burmese on the Thai border. That's right. I love that area. She grew up in the coolest part of Thailand, literally coolest. Like, it's the coolest, like cold. Like, it's not, it's in the mountains. It's not hot, which most of Thailand is hot. It gets a little hot, but not that bad. Um, I got some funny Thailand stories, too. I, I could, but let me tell you this. Um, from uh, this guy in Burma, his name's John. John is a, a buddy of mine now, as I've worked with him over the years. And, and I was traveling with John in Burma in this remote area called Inlay Lake. Inlay Lake is a Buddhist lake. It's a sacred lake. It has houses. You've ever seen those sort of idyllic, um, like, houses on stilts? That's what Inlay Lake is. The whole place is like that. I mean, I was, like, taking pictures there. This is so cool uh, because it was just such a neat place, and you could only get there by boat. It's the only way you can get there. There's no vehicles or anything, and people live on these stilt houses, and of course, when you, let me say this about stilt houses. Stilt houses are not actually the best option because we found out later that they were actually like using the bathroom on one end of the stilt house in the water and then like getting their drink of water out of the other end of the stilt house. Out of the, you know, so they were trying to keep us separated there. But anyway, not the best option. So I don't think we would be good with that, Tim. I don't, I don't think so. We're, we're, yeah, no. But anyway, um, back to the point. So um, he goes to... Uh, so John goes to minister in this area. He's always in this area ministering to these Buddhists. They, are they do not like Christians at all because they think Christians pollute the land and the lake. 
And so one thing that's happened in this area is that when they bury Christians, uh, the Buddhists will come and dig up the body and just take it far away, and they, never, they don't know what happens to it. Uh, it's just gone. But it's not buried there because burying pollutes their lake because that's like Christian bones. So very interesting. Uh, a lot of superstition and stuff like that. But here, here's a great story. So we're in the boat, and we're, we're pulling away. Uh, it's just a little uh, like a canoe with about four people in it. And we're pulling away from the dock there, and we're, we're kind of moving down the river. And, oh, by the way, Inlay is also the place where you've maybe seen pictures. They actually or, they paddle with their legs. Like, they hold these giant oars and do it with their legs. Very interesting. But, um, but anyway, we're moving down the river, and uh, he elbows me. John, he's sitting behind me. He's kind of like, hey, look over there on the shore. You see those guys? And I'm like, what guys? He said, there's a guy over there videotaping us, and there's another guy taking pictures. Still pictures. He said, those are the secret police. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, you know these guys. He's like, yeah, they, they, always, they always talk to me. And he's like, as soon as you leave, they'll arrest me again and ask me about you. So he knew it was going to happen. Happens all the time. And I was like, really? You're not scared of them or anything? He's like, no, this, we do this all the time. So anyway, um, so sure enough, I leave. He gets arrested. Here's the issue. They don't want Western money. They don't want U.S. money or any other outside money to support the Christians in that area because that's where the problem is. They, they don't like Christians anyway, but they especially don't like Christians who can do ministry stuff. They can like build houses and help people and do orphanages. They don't like that at all. And so they're always concerned about uh, John and him getting money. So, so this is the great, this is where the, the words that no one can resist or contradict come in. So here's what happens. They arrest him. He's sitting there. He says, uh, your picture's on the wall at the police station now, by the way, Jason. Because they, you know, they have like this guy. Here's the picture. They showed him the pictures. They said, who is this guy? He said, he's my friend, my friend from America. Okay, uh, what was he doing here? I was just coming to see me and see where I live and what I do. And they said, did he give you any money? And this is where John had a bit of a challenge because, yes, I had given him money. And, yes, he knew that was what would get him in a lot of trouble. So this is where the prayer kicks in. And you say, how do I answer this? Um, so this is, the mo- this, is the, this is the most hilarious story ever. So this is what he says. He says, well, you know I'm a Christian. I know you're Buddhist. You know I have a holy book, the Bible. And uh, he said that book has a passage in there. It says that when it comes to money, you should never let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And he said, so yes, he did give me money, but I, I really don't remember anything about it. And they were just dumbfounded. They were like, okay, I guess you can go. And they let him go. They, they just didn't know what to do with it. Isn't that the greatest answer ever? And I thought, that would never work anywhere else. <laughs> so if you get in trouble, don't try that one. I'm sure it's not going to work. But isn't that funny? Just like right hand, left hand, it's in the Bible. I'm a Christian. This is, I have to obey my book. And they were like, okay. Anyway, it's just amazing. So I don't know how God somehow blinded them to realize that's completely illogical, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, it just makes sense. So, all right. uh, Well, what do you think? You guys got questions? I know there might be a few questions out there. We got like 10 minutes or so. We can just talk about some questions. Yes, sir. Okay. Question is, I'm going to repeat the questions, by the way. How can we best pray for the ministry? Okay. Yes. Great question. Do you have a phone? I'm sure you do. Um, on the iPhone and the Android apps, there are, um, like in the, 
the iTunes store, there's an app or the app store. It's called Pray Today. Pray Today. And what Pray Today does, and you can set it up if you want to get notified. You can. I personally hate notifications, so I turn off all notifications. But I do, um, I do use it every single day. Because what it is, it's an app, Pray Today. You go there, and every day it gives you a, a little photo and a story, a prayer request for a persecuted family. So I'm glad you asked about that. That was great. I did not pay him to ask that. But seriously, download Pray Today and, uh, and every day. I, I do it every day. This morning the prayer was for, who has the prayer calendar? I was talking about the prayer calendar. It was for Kuwait, right? Anybody remember that? I think Kuwait was today. Um, but anyway, every day there's a country, little story, a prayer request. So thank you for asking. Because by the way, when we meet with our persecuted family, that's what they ask for first is prayer. That's the main thing they want which is kind of funny because we always sort of skip that when we're talking to people, right? You know, we say, they'll say, I'll pray for you. And you'll be like, okay, great, thanks. But can you help with the, you know, and we just kind of overlook it. But anyway, so, all right. I, did I see a hand over here somewhere? Questions? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> now mom's like, what am I going to say? No, uh, okay, I saw that hand, and I'm glad that you raised your hand. Excellent. I'll answer any questions you want afterwards for sure. Um, okay, any, anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Uh, you mean like uh, vocationally versus uh, like with new, like you were talking about new tribes and, and some mission. Okay, yeah. Well, um, what we do is um, we have about 52 field workers, and our all overall staff is about 150-ish. Um, we have about 52 staff workers that are in the field, and they are, um, some of them are from the countries they serve. There's 23 nationalities living in 22 nations. So that's kind of how it's set up. But here's the way it works. Um, it's all very secretive, very clandestine. So I'll tell you, but don't tell anybody else. We actually have a field worker in Chiang Mai. And they work in places like uh, Burma, Laos, Vietnam. They work in that neighborhood. So like when I go to, that's why I love Chiang Mai, because when I go to Chiang Mai, I, that's our base to go to all these other, which is normal, you know, lots of people in Chiang Mai um, doing that. But anyway, but if this guy, if you met him, you would never know he worked for the Voice of the Martyrs, because it's all super top secret, especially when he's traveling in some of these areas. So um, we have to do that, by the way, just because, not for our own safety, although as you can see from the story of Peter Yasik being in prison for 445 days and just getting out last week, you, we do get caught. Occasionally, we do get in jail, but, um, or worse. But, but I would say this, um, most of the time we're concerned about the people we're serving. Because like in Iran, for example, well, let's take Vietnam and Laos, for example. I was just there last fall, and, and we had to be super careful because if they're found to be meeting with Western Christians, uh, these underground church networks, it just, they get in all kinds of trouble. You know, again, um, the government wants to have, especially in a communist country like Vietnam, they want to have utter control on everything. And they feel like there's anything spiraling out of control. And actually, in Laos, uh, or Laos, some people say Laos, they say Laos. But in Laos, um, the, uh, the CIA used to infiltrate Laotians to try to overturn the government. And so, honestly, we've been called the, the voice of the CIA by some <laughs> governments. <laughs> there's actually a... Uh, there's actually, in our museum, there's a newspaper article. It was like, the voice of the CIA, and talking about us, so it's kind of funny. We're not with the CIA, honestly, to let you know. But, but it's funny, because we get in trouble for that stuff. So we're very careful to be super undercover. So our guys use pseudonyms, and fake names, all that kind of stuff. You have to. 
to work in these places. So because the 68 countries we work in, they're all either restricted by the government or they're hostile, which means the neighbors just hate Christians. So it's either way, it's a bad scenario. Yeah, thanks for asking that question, though. Oh, um, and let me add one more part about that, uh, because a lot of people will be like, oh, I'd love to work with VOM. That's cool work and all that, um, and it is such a blessing. But the thing that we've been doing with the field work, too, is we really, um, we usually get missionaries or workers from other mission orgs who've worked in these countries. So, for example, we have reaped a bountiful harvest from the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention because they're laying off a lot of people right now. So, um, because just of declining resources. So, so we've actually snagged about three of them who, uh, like one was 21 years in Malaysia, Indonesia with the IMB, and then um, they were let go, and we were like, we'll take you, <laughs> and it worked out really well. So, praise God. Um, yeah, so what else? Other questions or comments? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first thing is we want to connect with the local networks. We connect with the indigenous networks because it's all about the church. So, I mean, imagine this. This ministry is not about Pastor Tim. It's about all of you, right? I mean, that's, this is the, the local representation of the body of Christ in St. John's. One of them. There are many other local representations too, right? And, uh, and so in this place, God is at work through the network. So what we would do, if a good example would be if you were experiencing persecution right here in St. John's, we would try to find the leader. So we'd find Tim, and we'd say, hey, Tim, um, how can we help you in this persecution? He might say, well, we had a couple, their house got burned down the other day because of their faith, and they're kind of living in the street now, so we're trying to come together as a church to help them. But honestly, we don't really have that much resources ourselves to help them. So could you help with that? And then we say, yeah, that's what we do. So we did 1,600 of those kind of projects around the world. And they're all just very practical. We, we call them, some of them are providing practical assistance. Some provide spiritual assistance. So for example, sometimes it's training. So then to bring this example home, what if Lansing was like a crazy area where you could get killed for being a Christian there? And Pastor Tim said, you know what? There's a few on fire guys in my group here. They want to go to Lansing. They're going to go to street evangelism in Lansing, and they're probably going to get beat up or something, but can you help with that? So we would say, um, yeah, we'll provide some training for you before you go, help equip them. We'll give them Bibles. We did 1.2 million Bibles last year in, in these nations, all the most difficult places you can imagine. And, and so sometimes we'll smuggle Bibles in, and then they, they send them to the next stage, wherever in the delivery chain, the supply chain, I guess you could say. So does that help answer that? It's kind of, that's some, an idea. There's a whole bunch of, we have a prosthetics clinic in Nigeria that is replacing arms and legs that are hacked off by machete, stuff like that. So there's a lot of opportunities for help. Um, I saw another hand or two out there. Where'd they go? You guys are great. Go ahead. Who wants to go first? Oh, that is a good question. Never. Thank the Lord. I visited prisons. I have visited prisons in places um, like Colombia. And let me tell you about this. You do not want to go to a Colombian prison either. Uh, this was in Medellin, which is a city in Colombia filled with drug stuff. And anyway, so I, I went to that prison and visited a very sad place. Um, and I've been to a couple other prisons too. But the, only, the worst problem I ever personally had was coming back to America. This was a funny story because when I came back to America one time, the problem, we, we literally have to change our passports like all the time because they just don't make sense. If you're a Customs and Border Patrol person, 
and you're looking at our passport, you're like, hmm, what, what are you doing in, like, Iraq and then Lebanon? And then you went to Nigeria? And, then, you know, it's like, it just doesn't make sense. So, anyway, um, I did get in trouble. One time I did a trip that was really, it was interesting. I went from Nigeria. I spent a couple weeks in Nigeria with uh, widows. And I went straight from Nigeria to Turkey. And this was when Turkey and the U.S., in fact, right now we have kind of strained relations, relations with Turkey. But I went to Turkey, and I came back to America, and I don't remember where I was. I think maybe Chicago or something. And, uh, and the Customs and Border Patrol, literally, they put a big X on my, my little paper, and they said, you need to go back in the, the back room and talk to the police. And so I did, and then we talked through it. Thankfully, that was when I, I reminded them that I'm a military guy. I said, hey, I'm, I'm a chaplain in the Air Force. I'm a good guy. And they were like, oh, really? So they dug into it and figured it out. It wasn't horrible. But that was the only time I had, like, a brush with the law. Yes. What was that other question? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, Open Doors is one of our similar ministries. It's very similar. I actually am good buddies with the president of Open Doors. I just prayed for him yesterday, actually. He's on my prayer list regularly. His name's Jeff, and I pray for him a lot. Um, Open Doors is another missions org that we work with. Um, We partner with about five strategic partners uh, in the missions world, and they're all working in these really tough, like, mostly Islamic areas um, and, uh, and then other areas. There's a lot of persecution in India. You may not know this, but there's a lot of persecution in, in even Hindu areas and Buddhist areas. Isn't it funny how in, in our culture you think, um, oh, Buddhism is a religion of peace. Everybody gets along well. Well, unless you are polluting their land, and then they're not so peaceful anymore. Um, so anyway, um, when I say polluting, I mean like by your faith. You're not really polluting their land. Just by being a Christian, you're polluting their land. Okay. One more. What do we got? One more question out there. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that because I forgot I was not repeating some of the questions. My bad. So the question was, does the Voice of the Martyrs have any relationship with the U.S. government, and what's that look like? Well, I would say yes and no. I mean, we, we say it this way. Um, Yes, I actually oversee our legislative liaisons. We have legislative, like, we have people in D.C. that represent us and and that sort of thing. But we don't think there's a lot of benefit, I'm just being honest with you, with advocacy. You know, I mean, if you think about it, I I don't want to discourage you, but if you think that going to D.C. and just making a big fuss about something is really going to change a lot, we we haven't found that to be very successful. For example, um, I guess you could argue that Boko Haram until 2015 was not considered a terrorist group. So enough people started complaining. All the Chibok girls got kidnapped, 200 of them. And then they said, okay, now we declare them a terrorist group. Well, did that really change the situation on the ground for the Christians? Eh, not really. You know what I mean? They were, okay, now they're a terrorist group. Which I'm glad they are, because they are. So I'm glad we're calling it what it is. But uh, I don't know how much change was really affected there. So that's one example of we're not sure. Now, if one of our uh, staff members is imprisoned or something, and absolutely, we're going to use the State Department to try to use that, but we'll also use other channels to try to secure release and all that. So, yeah, it's a complicated question. I'm glad you asked that. I would say this. Um, we do believe that whenever possible, Romans 13 says, submit to the authorities over you. So I'm honest. When I go to another country, a hostile country, and I'm, if I'm using a pseudonym, you know, traveling under different pretenses or whatever, if I come back, I'm honest to the U.S. Like when I talked to the CBP guys, I said, hey, I'm a missionary. I just went to Nigeria. I did this. I went to Turkey. I did this. I'm completely legit. I'm a missionary. 
If I was in Turkey, I wouldn't have the same exact answer. Um, but that's okay. We believe that God has called us to go into these tough places, and sometimes that doesn't mean breaking their laws, but we don't break the U.S. laws as much as possible. So anyway, hopefully that answers that question. Um, good. Well, let's, uh, I guess we're going to pray together, and then I'll be over in the gym if you want to hang out. Anything else, Pastor Tim? Or? Good? Okay, good. Let's do it. Father, we're so grateful that you have put us into this giant family, that you're at work all around the place. To you be the glory, Lord, the power, the dominion over all, because you are working in places and ways that we can't even imagine. So, Lord, I'm grateful that we get a chance to meet our family members once in a while, to hear some of their stories, and I'm grateful for the faith that you've given them. I pray that tonight, Lord, we would learn to apply more of the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Mountain Sermon. Help us, Lord, to love our enemies. Help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Help us to pray for those who would persecute us. Please, Lord, give us the grace that we need to represent you well in these situations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.